finally, an interview with F. Scott Fitzgerald. This is an episode of Finally, the podcast from Michael Furtick. In this episode, I'm going to read to you aloud an interview with Mr. Fitzgerald by F. Scott Fitzgerald. This was a publicity lark that he wrote in 1920 after the enormous success of his debut novel, This Side of Paradise. He wrote it by hand, and he gave it to the team at Scribner's to publish as a self-interview, a kind of comedic piece, and Scribner's did not use it. And the original, pencil on paper, written form, languished in the Scribner marketing department desk drawer for 40 years. Can you imagine that? Until it was rediscovered in the early 60s and then published in a famous magazine at the time, now defunct, called The Saturday Review. Here it is. An interview with Mr. Fitzgerald by F. Scott Fitzgerald. With the distinct intention of taking Mr. Fitzgerald by surprise, I ascended to the 21st floor of the Biltmore and knocked in the best waiter manner at the door. On entering, my first impression was one of confusion, a sort of rummage sale confusion. A young man was standing in the center of the room, turning an absent glance, first at one side of the room and then at the other. I'm looking for my hat, he said dazedly. How do you do? Come on in and sit on the bed. The author of This Side of Paradise is sturdy, broad-shouldered, and just above medium height. He has blonde hair, with the suggestion of a wave, and alert green eyes. The melange somewhat Nordic, and good-looking, too, which was disconcerting, as I had somehow expected a thin nose and spectacles. We had preliminaries, but I will omit the preliminaries. They consisted in searching for things. Cigarettes, a blue tie with white dots, an ashtray... But as he was obviously quite willing to talk and seemed quite receptive to my questions, we launched off directly on his ideas of literature. How long did it take you to write your book? I began. To write it? Three months. To conceive it? Three minutes. To collect the data in it? All my life. The idea of writing it occurred to me on the first of last July. It was sort of a substitute form of dissipation. What are your plans now? I asked him. He gave a long sigh and shrugged his shoulders. I'll be darned if I know. The scope and depth and breadth of my writings lie in the laps of the gods. If knowledge comes naturally through interest, as Shaw learned, his political economy, or as well as devoured modern science, why, that'll be slick. On study itself, that is in reading up on a subject, I haven't anthill moving faith. Knowledge must cry out to be known, cry out that only I can know it, and then I'll swim in it to satiety as I've swum in, in many things. Please be frank. <laughs> it responds, the interviewer says, please be frank. Well, you know, if you've read my book, I've swum in various seas of adolescent egotism. But what I meant was that if big things never grip me, well, it simply means I'm not cut out to be big. This conscious struggle to find bigness outside, to substitute bigness of theme for bigness of perception, to create an objective magnum opus such as the ring in the book, well, all that's the antithesis of my literary aims. Another thing, he continued, my idea is always to reach my generation. The wise writer, I think, writes for the youth of his own generation, the critic of the next, 
and the schoolmasters of ever afterward. I think that's one of the most important statements he made on writing. Granted the ability to improve what he imitates in the way of style, to choose from his own interpretation of the experiences around him what constitutes material, and we get the first water genius. Do you expect to be, to be, well, part of the great literary tradition? I asked, timidly. He became excited. He smiled radiantly. I saw he had an answer for this. There is no great literary tradition, he burst out. There's only the tradition of the eventual death of every literary tradition. The wise literary son kills his own father. After this, he began enthusiastically on style. By style, I mean color, he said. I want to be able to do anything with words, handle slashing, flaming descriptions like Wells, and use the paradox or the clarity of Samuel Butler, the breadth of Bernard Shaw, and the wit of Oscar Wilde. I want to do the wide, sultry heavens of Conrad, the rolled gold sundowns and crazy quilt skies of Hitchens and Kipling, as well as the pastel dawns and twilights of Chesterton. All that is by way of example. As a matter of fact, I am a professional literary... Make that. As a matter of fact, I am a professed literary thief, hot after the best methods of every writer in my generation. I think that's the most important thing he wrote about writing. The interview terminated about then. Four young men with Philistine faces and conservative ties appeared and looking at each other exchanged broad winks. Mr. Fitzgerald faltered and seemed to lose his stride. Most of my friends are, are like those, he whispered as he showed me to the door. I don't care for literary people much. They make me nervous. It was rather, it was really rather a good interview, wasn't it? And that's it. That's his interview with himself, which got stuck in a drawer for 40 years. This has been an episode of Finally. Thank you for listening.